Hi, this is Sarah Evans, one of the partners here at J Public Relations, and I'm here with the amazing Annie Fitzsimmons, who gets paid to travel. And today we're going to hear some of her tips, her pro tips, traveling around the world for many years and getting paid for it. And she is going to bring some of that insight to all of you. So welcome, Annie. Thank you, Sarah. I sometimes can't believe it myself. I get paid to travel. I'm in the travel industry, the best industry in the world. So, so what, what does that mean you get paid to, tra- to travel? What do you do exactly? So there's so many different areas of the travel industry, but I'm in media. So I'm an editor and a writer. So I started out, though, as a tour guide. I led tours in Europe, and then I sort of moved to New York and harassed Nancy Novograd, who was the then editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure. And um, at the time, you know, you'll remember this, everything was changing from print to digital. So I kind of got in at the right time, right when the digital revolution was happening and blog became a word that people actually understood what it meant. And um, and so from there, I just started, I worked for um, Travel and Leisure, for Forbes, for CNN, for a bunch of other different places sort of became like a a freelance hotel and travel and lifestyle writer, but then that sort of grew into a bigger um, role at National Geographic, where I've had a relationship for nine years. I'm an editor-at-large there, and um, for two years now, I've worked at Virtuoso um, as digital editor. So I've worked on our our magazines and our digital content um, to, you know, a company that I really have loved for so, so long and really believe in the mission. I love Virtuoso as well, but tell our readers who may not know Virtuoso what Virtuoso is. Yeah, so Virtuoso, it's a luxury travel network all around the world. We have 17,500 travel advisors and more than 1,000 agencies, I believe. So basically, if you work with a travel advisor, you get access to our preferred portfolio of 1,700 hotels and cruise lines and tour operators. And basically, you get VIP access and services simply by booking through a virtuoso advisor. And I always say that once you travel virtuoso style, you don't go back. Like it's that different. So, and our, our CEO, Matthew Upchurch, he talks about, you know, a return on life. How are you using your most important, important asset, right? Which is your free time. So you'd use a financial advisor. Why not use a travel advisor? So virtuoso is all about that. And so much of, you know, what the millennial generation is doing is spending money on experiences over possessions. Exactly. And Virtuoso speaks so well to that. They Whether do. it's an aspirational trip or you're a all-the-time Virtuoso traveler, um, I always look at the Virtuoso site for inspiration. That's so nice to hear. Yeah, I mean, we it really is about inspiration and aspiration. And, you know, you say millennials, and actually we have data that shows that you know, every age group, millennials and Gen X and baby boomers and matures, they're all using travel advisors in equal measure. So even the millennials, you know, the youngins, they're they're using travel advisors as well, probably because they're so overwhelmed by all of the content that's out that's there. That's out there. Yeah. Or Xennials, as I'm referred to, I found out someone who grew Zenials? up with an analog childhood without the internet and now has a very digital adulthood. Yes. You're the last generation to remember that, right? Like, Me too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, no one else, your kids won't remember a life without No. Ritual, which is crazy. No. Yeah. They, they don't even know what a hand-held <laughs> telephone looks like. That's right. not a cell phone. They might go back, though. You're, that generation might get so sick of digital that they're all going to go live on farms and like hide. But who knows? <laughs> so... <laughs> but as long as they're traveling, I guess for us, that's a good thing. Yeah. So 
as a lady who gets paid to travel, how many trips are you taking for work a year? So I travel actually a lot less now um, at, at Virtuoso, but and, you know, at National Geographic at the height of it, I was traveling three weeks a month, so that was too much for me. Um, I started to miss baby showers and you know weddings and just you know my relationship, everything. So it, it was just too much. Um, so I think for someone in their twenties, when I started doing that, that was great. And now, when, you know, at age thirty-five, I need a little bit less travel. I still travel a lot. Like I just got back from. Turkey, I was there a week, then I went kind of straight to Scottsdale, Arizona for a girl's weekend. Um, I was in Rome earlier this year. I'm in Switzerland a lot because my fiance is Swiss. So it's, you know, it's once every couple of months that I'm traveling now for big trips, um, but I'm usually on the plane once a month. <laughs> what are so, you doing when you travel so, in terms for, you know, for the magazines or publications that are paying yeah. you? So I, I, I'm kind of an obsessive traveler. You know, I always tell people... Um, if they say they want to travel and get paid for it and they say, well, I love people and food and wine. And I'm like, great. You're just like everyone else. Right. Um, to make it your job, you have to really be obsessed with it and really kind of carve out a niche for yourself and, and look at what, um, you can do that other people don't like. So for me, like I'm traveling when I was in Paris last fall, for example, every day I had a schedule mapped out. I had 40 restaurants I wanted to see in cafes. And of course I leave time for, for the experience, for like lingering and for, for finding those surprises. But it, because it's my job, I feel like I have to really research and understand hotels and, um, you know, different museums and where to go and what to do. It's really important to me to not just, um, stay in the hotel, even though I love a great hotel and I love room service. And then are you taking that information back and writing about it? Yeah, exactly. So then I would write either, um, you know, depending on what, you know, what my team and I discuss, I would write an article. So for example, I spent two weeks in Austria last year, and then I wrote two different articles, one on Vienna's museum cafes, and then one on um, Vienna's style and design scenes. So those, those research trips turn into um, stories, either department stories or feature stories, or, and, and as well as digital content. Do you feel that someone who's traveling for your job, so to speak, do you feel like when you're traveling personally, like this weekend when you went on your girls' trip to Arizona, do you feel like you're always on in some capacity when you're traveling? Yeah, and I tried not to annoy my girlfriends, but um, I grew up in Scottsdale and we stayed at the Phoenician, which is a resort. Actually, my first job was at the Phoenician and I was totally, I was critiquing everything. You know, I mean, it's something you can't really turn off and it's a beautiful, stunning hotel, but you know, the service one day was slow and I was like, oh my gosh, you know. But basically I'm looking at it as, you know, if someone's paying all of this money to stay in this hotel, is it worth it? And for the Phoenician it certainly is, right? But I'm just I'm looking at that and saying, um, you know, is it worth someone's hard-earned money and time? So I, I I don't think I can really turn off unless it's like in the Hamptons or someplace where I don't, you know, where I go, but I don't write about it. Have you always known you wanted to be in the travel space? Yeah, and it's funny. I actually saw an astrologer at the Phoenician, and he was like, in your past life, you never got to travel. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, that's why I travel all the time now. Um, I did, you know, and then I was growing up, and I started to realize that, you know, travel became more democratized, and, you know, plane flights became cheaper. And, of course, I went to Europe when I was 19, like everyone else, um, and couldn't afford anything, and was... You know, so I think I just got the bug really early on. I was one of five kids, so my family, you know, we didn't have a ton of money to travel, but my family 
we would go places, right? Even if it was all of us in the car and it just sort of changes your entire outlook and um, you just realize very early on that it's, it's life changing. So I did, I just, I never knew how and I never thought I was good enough. So I think that's, you know, looking back, you know, look, I, if I could tell my 20 year old self anything, it would be like, it's gonna be okay, enjoy the ride, right? Um, you know, it's not a career like a lawyer or a doctor where you have a path to follow for, for travel media or the travel industry, as you know, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy one-way street to get to where you want to be. So you would tell your 20-year-old self to, you know, it's going to be okay, enjoy the ride, which I love. Yes. I think we've, if we could all go back, we would maybe take, I would tell my 20-year-old self, you don't need to get a job the day you graduate. You right, could enjoy may, yourself. You may, could, maybe you could take a, a little time off yeah. because you're not going to get it again. <laughs> But what would you tell someone who's looking to get into the travel space? And it's such an ever-changing landscape. You know, you're obviously on the media side of it. So what do you do today? You're graduating from college. You're interested in travel. What are the steps you take if you want to be a travel writer? I think, you know, I think the most important thing is, is, is two things. I, one, find your niche. You know, when I was starting out, I sort of marketed myself as a hotel expert. I started a blog, again, when it was just, blogs were just becoming a thing called Hotel Bell, which I sort of cringe hearing that now, but it really gave me a voice for a specific um, part of the industry. And I think too many people come out and they're like, I know the world, right? And you're like, no, you don't, right? You've, you've only been traveling for a year. So I think if you sort of market yourself as an expert in a destination or something like that. And then second, I think, you know, you, I'm in travel media, but I think it's so important to understand every aspect of the business. You know, I mean, if I could go back and tell myself, I would say, take more business classes, you know, understand how to pay your taxes and how to, you know, save money and how to do all of these things. It's so important. And it's, you know, in our culture now, the we're, we're kind of having another women's movement in a way. And I think with, with Me Too and Time's Up and I think, you know, it's so important to tell people, which was not happening when I was 20, but that, you know, to make your own money <laughs> and here's how to make your own money and to make sure that um, you love what you do, but you're also taking care of the financial part. No, I, I love that. And I think, you know, you're, you've been a freelancer for a long time. You've been on staff, you've done it all. And it really does pay to, you don't have to have a plan necessarily, but, but like you said, know what your niche is, really hone in on what part you want to know, or you're really good at, right. and then figure out how to monetize. Exactly. That. Exactly. And you know, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of digital work, but I love the magazine side. I love the marketing side. I love, you know, sponsored content is now a thing. I love social media. I love um, uh, books at Nat Geo. I worked a lot in our books department and our expeditions, our tours department. So I think working in all those different areas after you've sort of found your niche, does it make sense? Like you can, you can really build yourself up into a, a true expert, right? And you, you can believe it yourself and other people believe it. <laughs> Now, shifting gears a little bit, take us through, you check into a hotel. What are What is the first thing you do when you check into a hotel? Do you have a ritual? Are you one of the people that right, wipes off the remote? That's a great idea. Do you do that? I should. Yeah. I've read enough and seen enough of those you know, 2020 undercover yeah. specials to know that I should bring wipes and wipe off the remote. But yeah, I, I should wipe I, off like everything, right? The lasers. Um, whenever I walk into a hotel room, I turn off the TV. It's always on and blaring and like, and of course I'm 
clarifying this by saying I have a travel writer life where I stay in fancy five-star star hotels and then you know my real life where I don't necessarily stay in those hotels. But so in fancy five-star hotels, you usually you turn off the TV, you take all of the paper stuff off the bed. I don't know what, I don't even know what it is. I get so annoyed. I stick it under, you know, get it away from me. And I put on the do not disturb because I don't want to be bothered. But it's amazing. And I just realized this again when I was in Turkey, how many hotels times hotels have called me um I usually keep the do not disturb on like I like housekeeping but only once every few days but they call me and they say oh hi you know I just wanted to double check that you meant to have your do not disturb on and I'm like I was taking a nap you know so I you know I I don't really understand that and I post that on Twitter and I got such a huge response so I guess it happens to other people too but anyway so those are the things I do turn off the tv get rid of all paper unpack but more explode do you unpack? Do you like hang I stuff unpack. Up? If I'm even going somewhere for a night, I unpack because it makes me feel more settled. Mm. And I feel like I can take a deep breath and really enjoy the place where I am better yeah. if I'm, my stuff is organized. I love that. I need to take your advice for that. And do you always get turned down if you don't do housekeeping every day? So I... Some people love turn down. I like it. I don't usually do it though because I don't know. Somehow the room is always too dark after they finish closing, like all of the shades and like the double. The, there's like double curtain. I don't know. It's like a blackout room once they do turn down, and then they have the music on, right? The TV's on, and then the slippers I don't really use because they never fit right, and then you're slipping around. So my favorite <laughs> thing is turn down. Yeah. Exactly, and See? I. <laughs> I didn't know what turndown was growing up. I did not necessarily stay in hotels where there were turndown. But working in this industry, I've been very spoiled to stay in hotels with turndown. And now, much like unpacking makes me feel settled, turndown makes me feel like I'm ready to go to sleep. I get that. I like that they they put all your toiletries in a row again, and they replace your towels, right? Which is not very sustainable, but... Um, I mean, I do, I do get the appeal of it. I just don't, it's not something I love. So, well, no, I, I, you know, it is when you travel a lot, you have these idiosyncrasies that you develop. Mm -hmm. And so when you check into a hotel, are there any tips that you could give people on how to get the best room or maybe get an upgrade? So this is where I really, you know, working at Virtuoso and even before working at Virtuoso, you know, I always, I bring in the travel advisor because you can't VIP yourself, right? You can't walk into a place and be like, I am amazing, upgrade me, I'm so important. But your advisor can do that for you because they already have those relationships. So I would say that would be number one. Also, how are you supposed to know the room categories, right? I mean, I'm I'm not sitting there on the website looking at the categories. Um, So that would be my number one. Number two... I would just say be nice. You know, I, I have an Uncle John who some he just somehow gets everything he wants always. And he's the nicest guy in the world and people just want to be him and love him. And it's because he is empathetic. He looks at you in the eye. He treats you like a human, you know. And so I always think that, like, how do I act like Uncle John here? Because you just be nice to people and it's amazing what you get for that. Well, then that goes into my next question, which is so there's a problem who do you contact at the hotel? What's the fastest way to get a resolution? Yeah, I mean, number one, be nice, right? No one wants to be yelled at. Um, number two, keep everything in writing. 
Like I never, if there's a big problem and this has been rare for me, but I always put, keep, put it in writing and then send an email to the general manager. Um, if it's something pretty simple and basic, the front desk can usually help you or housekeeping, right? If it's something like that. Um, but if it's a big, big problem, write it down and they'll usually, they'll usually make it right. Do you go on TripAdvisor and also write it down? or are I you... do not, um, but I always look at TripAdvisor. I mean, I feel like we all do, just as one of many sources, right? I mean, there's not one source, right, that you're like, I'm definitely, I'm only going to look at that one source. Um, so TripAdvisor for sure, but I don't contribute. I feel like I'm biased. <laughs> Since you're getting paid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. Now, for flying, mm. Mm. what do you do when you get on an airplane? What do you pack? What are your must-dos when you when you get in the air? You know, I always say, too, like, don't judge a trip by the airplane. Like, judge it when you first get there. Because even if you're flying business class, like, flying sucks, right? A lot of the times, just being surrounded, you're jet-lagged, you're, you know, but there's some things you can do to make it easier and... um so a few things on the airplane, like never look in the mirror, right? Everyone looks a hundred times worse. Um, bring like a roller ball with like your scent of choice. And most importantly, like for me, bring your own food and snacks. Like, I think that's so important. I really, a lot of times skip the airplane meals, um, unless I'm flying first class, not because the food is so much better, but because I love the ritual of it. And, you know, it's kind of fancy and you feel good about yourself. Um, but always bring your own food. And I always skip breakfast service if I'm on the way to Europe because by the time they finish dinner service, you sleep for two hours, they start breakfast, and you're like, all right, stop. Um, so, yeah, and then I, you know, forgetting upgrades, like, there really isn't a trick. I mean, yes, dress nicely. Like, don't show up at the airport in your favorite sweatpants. Um, it's amazing what people wear today. I, I can't believe it. Like, sometimes I actually have a collection of photos, and I know... Our friend Tiffany Dowd does as well of <laughs> people who are wearing crazy things at the airport, but look nice. Um, fly one airline, like do stay loyal to it and 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 just try to book your flights like on on days where business travelers are not flying, right? So like bank holidays or um, like Sunday nights, they're not usually flying, they're flying more Monday. So just look at that and then you're more likely to get get your upgrade. But you have to be loyal. Do you have a favorite airline? Um, I have airlines that I love. I am a United girl, not by choice, but because, as I mentioned, my fiance is from Switzerland, he has to fly Swiss, so it's part of Star Alliance. So I am a United girl. They've been in the news quite a few times um, the past couple of years for not so good things, but I think it's fine. I've never had a problem. I, I just flew United to Hawaii a week after they were in the news most recently. Right. Is that the dog? <laughs> yes. Yes, that killed me. And I flew that same flight like a week later. It's just so sad. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And so you said to, to be loyal. I agree. Being loyal, that's how you're going to get the access to the lounges. You have more of a shot at the upgrades. You really are treated a bit differently. I'm a you are. Delta. I'm a Delta girl. Isn't that doesn't ever leave the airport? Sorry. Doesn't Delta stand for doesn't ever leave the airport? Oh, right. Or is that... That's, do you you, know, I've had, knock on wood, pretty good luck with yeah. Delta. And you know, now I've had status for a while. And it's it just... Helps. It really does. Mm. It, it really does. And just, you know, I'm always in the lounge at JFK. And yeah. it's much easier also flying with kids to know that it's quiet and you can get... A bagel, easily. The lounge is awesome. Even if the food sucks, it's just 
it's better. You're kind of away from the chaos. Yes. Yeah. And if you are delayed, if it doesn't ever leave the airport, <laughs> you are at least in the lounge, in the lounge. if you're loyal. <laughs> Do you, how important is hotel loyalty? So for me, you know, I'm not, I don't have a hotel program because I travel to so many different hotels. I know tons of friends that will only stay at, you know, um, Hilton, uh, Hilton properties or whatever it is, or Four Seasons, or I think it is very important if you want to get an upgrade, but I think it's not as important if you're using a travel advisor because they're give, they're getting that stuff for you. So it is important if you're not using an advisor. Yeah. And if someone wants to use a travel advisor, are they paying for that? Or how exactly does it work to use a travel advisor? It's a common question. There's a different answer depending on which agent or um, agency you will work with. I always say, too, you know, you have to date a few to find your your, your best advisor. Um, of course, I have my recommendations, but sometimes you have to work with a few different people to, to find your one. Um, but sometimes, I mean, they'll get commissions from the hotels or the cruises, but a lot of the times you're not seeing that like the hotel is paying it. Some people pay um, trip planning fee or, or you know, um, charge trip planning fees. Um, I was talking to an agent this morning and she was saying that she does not charge if it's just a simple hotel booking. She does charge if it's like a trip planning. If she's, you know, you want to go to Italy for two weeks, she is going to charge you for that because you're, you know, you're getting a service. And there's a lot of planes, trains, and automobiles. There's a lot of moving parts. With- two weeks in Italy. Right. Especially a place like Italy too, where it's hard to get into the best hotels and restaurants. I'm actually working with an advisor right now to get from Rome to the Amalfi Coast, back up to Tuscany, and then over to Venice. And they've they've been awesome. I, in my inbox, I have yeah. a proposed itinerary, but it's, it's great because they know... They know the cars. They they know all of this, and they've worked with these providers. And this is a case where they're being paid commission. Right. And for me, it's an added service. Why wouldn't I book through a trusted exactly. advisor? Exactly. It's peace of mind. I mean, I always say to people, try it once, right? And you'll never go back if they're a good advisor because you're just like, oh my God, I just, there's so many websites and so much stuff and I just don't know what to do. And you just, if you use an expert like you would for so many other things, it just changes your life, your travel life. And get inspiration from reading your articles. Exactly. Right. Virtuoso Life, Virtuoso Traveler, Virtuoso Online. And so you check into the hotel room, you take a nap, you don't want to be disturbed. (laughs) How much are you exploring? How are you planning your itineraries? And then when you're out and about, are you shopping? I'm always curious to know if professional travelers like yourself, how much you're shopping in destinations or do you have a favorite destination to shop? So the first part of your question, I, again, I'm really obsessive and I would say that I'm ready to go almost anywhere in the world, like 80% there ready to go because I have so many documents where I've saved travel tips from friends where I pulled Instagram tips or Twitter tips or articles. So I have it all sort of organized on my computer by destination. So if I got called to go to Japan tomorrow, a country that I've never been to, I have this huge document with Japan tips ready to go. Shops and restaurants and everything like that. So, and I also put everything into Google Maps too. So I have maps ready to go. And like my Paris map, for example, I have, you know, things are in purple if I've been there, things are in green if I haven't. So I'm really kind of obsessive that way. 
and shopping is definitely a big part of it. So, um, but my favorite places to shop, you know, so many of the cities around the world now, they're looking alike, homogenized, right? You see a Foot Locker or you see H&M or you see all of these stores. You're like, okay, I could have just stayed home, right? To shop there. But places like Marrakesh, where I was last fall or India or Egypt, um, where I was a year ago or Turkey, where I was last week. I mean, these places really have special bazaars or souks you know, or, you know, in the Medina or these, these really just handcrafted goods for just unbelievable prices. So those are my favorite places to shop. Um, and, you know, I think buying shoes in Marrakesh or India or buying rugs in Egypt, I have these Egyptian rugs that I probably would have paid $20,000 for at ABC kitchen, ABC kitchen, mm-hmm. <laughs> ABC carpet and home. Um, great restaurant though. Um, you know, but I paid much, much less in Egypt. So you're, you're helping the people at the source. You know, I always say when you travel, you're not helping the government of the people. You don't have to agree with the government. You're helping the local people, right? Mm-hmm. And I think shopping is a huge part of that. So I, I do love to shop. Do you? And, uh, yeah. In situations like that, yes. Yes. Because you're meeting the people that... Yeah are making it and you're seeing how their livelihoods are affected. And then you remember that bracelet that you bought from that certain woman who was at the bazaar and there's a story behind it. I also do believe in, even though it can be more expensive, I bought a handbag in Italy last year because it felt much more symbolic and special to buy this designer handbag in Milan than it did in Greenwich, Connecticut. Yes. You know. No, there's so. that part of it too. You always remember where you bought something. I had, I was in Rome, you know, a couple months ago, I found this tiny little place. We just stumbled upon it. It wasn't on any list I had, um, called Sirni, S-I-R-N-I. And I bought this beautiful purple leather bag that I just can't wait to wear this summer. And it's, you know, you just, you just never forget that, right? You just never forget it. So it's those things. I do like to, for a big trip, I like to buy something. We all, we usually buy a Christmas ornament also mm. and realized flying home from Hawaii that we did not buy a Christmas ornament in Hawaii. And my husband said, well, we can order one, but it's not, it's not, not the same. same. We have to go Amazon prime. Yeah. We have to yeah. go back and, <laughs> and buy one in Hawaii. We do that too, by the way. I love that. Your tree just looks like a little co- yes. collection of your It's memories. completely mismatched, but it really makes mm-hmm. me happy to decorate because it reminds me of the trips we've taken. Yes. I love that. I think that's a perfect souvenir and it's around 10 bucks. And it's easily packed in a suitcase. So when you're traveling for work, are you traveling alone a lot or are you traveling in groups? I used to travel much, much more alone. Um, You know, I spent 14 days in Australia for National Geographic. Um, I spent 10 days in Mexico for Nat Geo. I mean, I was alone the whole time. Of course, you're meeting people along the way and you have meetings and interviews, um, but you go home alone at night. So now um, I don't really travel in groups, um, but I do, I travel, I try to, bring my fiance. So we just try to make it work better for our little family unit right now. And, um, and that to me includes bringing him because I think you really experience a place better if you're with someone that you love. And I do love myself, but it also has become more important to me to, to spend time with him in places. So I know I was going to ask you, did you find traveling alone was lonely? I think if you're in a city, you know, we both live in New York well, you not anymore. <laughs> I have lived sort in New York. Of. I'm <laughs> half New York, half Connecticut. Yeah. 
which is, you know, you come into the city every day. Um, you know, I always say in New York, you can be alone, but you're never lonely because you're mm-hmm. surrounded by people. Um, I feel that way in Paris, in Mexico City, in London, wherever I am. Um, but of course you get lonely because you're just like, you know, texting your, your, your partner is not the same as being there with them. And of course you see families or you see, you know, people on dates and you're kind of like, oh, here I am. Like, <laughs> you know, but I love it. I mean, I think it's important to spend time with yourself as well. Now I'd like to spend time by myself at a destination spa. Right. Well, you have two kids. So two young kids, (laughs) you're ready to... Um, Do you... And I do travel for work by myself some. Yeah. Do you... When you're traveling alone, what do you do about meals? Yes. Well, like I said before, I do love room service. My colleague Justin at Virtuoso would um, very much disagree with me. He hates it, but I love it. Um... So I I tend to do room service at least one night, but then other than that, I kind of eat early and I just go to a cafe or a neighborhood bistro. I'd rather do that. You know, I'm not going to sit at a three-star Michelin restaurant and eat by myself. Like, I think that is not fun. Um, But if you're at a neighborhood pizza place, I love that. Or hotel bar. Hotel bar, exactly. Get out there, go downstairs. Yeah, enjoy it. Have you ever been in a situation traveling alone where you didn't feel safe? You know, I have, um, but it's not in places you would probably expect, right? I mean, I think people are always surprised, like you went to Mexico City on your own or, um, you know, places like that. And I I just, they're fantastic cities and I've never felt unsafe there. I never felt unsafe in Cairo or Istanbul. Um, I mean, I I felt unsafe in certain areas of New York. I think it depends on the time of day. I think also we're not idiots. Like if you see a little dark alley and a group of hoodlums like down the alley, like smoking something, you're not going to go down that alley, right? And I think, I mean, that's not that common, but um, just trust the hairs in the back of your neck. We all have it. And if you don't trust it, I mean, you'll find out pretty quickly that you should have. (laughs) So, but nothing terrible has ever happened to me. I've also, I have a kind of smiley face, which um, since moving to New York 10 years ago has definitely been tempered down a bit because... Um, it kind of invites conversations that you don't want to have. I think you're the same way. I mean, you have a very welcoming, kind face, but you kind of have to put your uh, your Look stop straight sign ahead. face yes. on. Yeah, <laughs> not smile at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> right. But no, because because there are certain tips I think for women yeah. traveling alone. But I think people can sense fear and absolutely. You know, to be confident, to be aware. Yeah, and don't flash your you know hundred dollar bills around and. <laughs> I mean, keep everything to yourself. I mean, I, you know, I can't believe how many people I'm like, put your phone down. Like, I can't believe that they're like on their phone texting in the city. Um, I mean, it's not, it used to be a bigger deal to have your phone out. I think everyone has a phone. now. I mean, it's, it's, it's different, but, but look up, but look up. I think everybody's looking down at their phone and no one's paying attention where they're going. Where'd my wallet go? Oh, I was, you know, on Instagram. Yeah. And I, kind of your fault. That was 10 minutes ago. And I, I, I just, yeah. That 10 minutes passed me by and I've yeah. been staring at my phone. Um, so if you could get on a plane today and go anywhere, where would you go? So I, I have two answers for that. I think there's a part of me that feels like I have been not doing as much as I should on the kind of the humanitarian side, which, um, you know, Puerto Rico or the Caribbean, like, I'm, I'm a huge um, lover of dogs. I have a dog at home. So whenever I go anywhere, Myanmar or, you know, places in Southeast Asia where there's a ton of stray dogs, like I always find a shelter to donate to. So my the first part of that question, you know, I would probably go to Puerto Rico and like try to help dogs somehow like Bethany Frankel's doing. Um, and then the second part of the question, like I 
would probably go to London to see my sister and then up to Scotland because I've never been to Scotland. So that's where I want to go. And you're getting married in September. I am. Where does the girl who goes everywhere and gets paid to do it go on her honeymoon? So we've already taken a lot of honeymoons together. Um, So we're kind of joking right now that we're going to go to Niagara Falls, which I think is becoming a reality. Like I really think we're going to go to Niagara Falls in October and go up to like Buffalo and these places that I've always wanted to visit and um, maybe tack on Cleveland, Ohio, a place where I've always wanted to go. Um, So, you know, I I do want to go to Africa too, but it's just not going to happen right after the wedding. So Niagara Falls it is. I love that. Yeah. And I do believe that Niagara Falls is one of the top honeymoon destinations. It is. Niagara Falls and Disney World. Yeah, for like 200 years. I mean, Niagara Falls has been the place to go. How many countries have you been to? Oh, I don't know. I got to add it up. So many. I've been so lucky. I've been to six uh, continents. I haven't been to Antarctica. Um, But I've been to a lot of places. And I love South America so much. Like, that's my... If I... Can I change my answer? I'd go to South America. I love South America. See, I know. There's so many yeah. places, right? And I, I guess we'll leave with that. The, the moral of the story is to travel. Yes. To immerse yourself in that destination when you're traveling. To give back when yes. you can, whether it's through shopping locally in a destination or giving to a shelter in Myanmar. Yes. Um, whatever, whatever you can do and... You know, even listening to you, you can tell how passionate after all these years and all these trips you still are about travel. And I feel really lucky that I get to know you and we get to work in this really awesome industry. We do. And of course, you know how much I admire what you do and what you've built with your company. And I think the number one difference between you and a lot of others is just that that human aspect. You know, I mean, again, Matthew Upchurch always talks about human connection, but it really is um, so important, especially in travel. And I never, ever take it for granted um, the places I've seen or what I get to do. Thank you. It's the human connection. And I love what you said about your Uncle John. My Uncle John. Being nice gets you everywhere. (laughs) Because I can promise you, if you're not nice, you will never get upgraded. Mm. Never. Never. So thanks so much, Annie. Loved having you here. Thank you. So until next time, make sure to travel and travel elevated.